The Word of God for our meditation is found on page 680 in your pew Bible, page 680. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, page 680. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of my least memorable college courses was a course on Shakespeare. We had to go through his plays, and every once in a while we would have a quiz on a certain statement from one of Shakespeare's plays, and we had to know who said it, to whom, under what circumstance, and of course, in which play. Do we have any Jeopardy fans here this morning? <laughs> I have a Jeopardy question for you. You don't have your buzzers, so the first person to raise his or her hand will have a chance to shine this morning. Here's the quotation. What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Oh, Jeff. I missed that. Roses. Well, let's ask the question, who spoke these words? It was close, Jeff. No, oh. Close. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, you're shining this morning, all of you. Yes, it was Juliet Capulet spoken to. Well, Romeo was there cowering behind a bush, I think, and, and Juliet Capulet was expressing her feeling that no matter what Romeo's name might be, he would still be her sweetie. Of course, his life. Oh boy. He's from New Jersey. <laughs> Romeo Montague. That was bad. It was one of the original Jersey boys. Maybe. But the question that Juliet asked was, it doesn't make any difference that Romeo happens to be from a rival family and we shouldn't really be getting together. And she says, no matter what Romeo's last name might be, he's still sweet. A rose by any other name, no matter what you call a rose, you could call it a skunk, it would still be sweet. So what's in a name? Today we ask the question, what's in his name? What's in Jesus' name? After all, names are important. Do any of you know the meaning of your first name? Some of you do, okay. I was going to ask, where's Tim? Tim, there, there he is. Do, do you know what Rachel's name means? If Rachel were here, I would say, did you, name, did you know that you are a you? A female sheep. It's a, it's a very tender name. And uh, Tim, your name happens to be what? <laughs> Mud, if you don't answer the question. <laughs> no, you, you are loved by God, Timothy, okay? And thus far, the Greek lesson for this morning. Isaiah wrote in a very, very difficult time in Israel's history. It was about 700 years B.C. It was a very terrible, dark time for the people of God. For one thing, there were enemy nations ready to pounce on them. And by them, I mean Israel to the north and Judah to the south. But the real darkness of God's people was not caused by their physical enemies, but by themselves. Time and again, they would forsake their faithful and loving God. And hard as it may be to imagine, they would turn to other gods, such as Baal or Baal and Ashtoreth. When the people entered the land, they wondered, well, how do, how do crops grow here? How do you ensure that there's going to be rain for the crops? And the natives explained, well, we have two gods. Well, one god and one goddess. Baal is the male and Ashtaroth is the female. And in order to have the rains come, 
you have to have Baal and Ashtaroth get together in a very loving, connubial way. But Baal is kind of slow. He needs to be encouraged. And so our worship is that you guys come to the temple and there are some ladies of the night who are ready to be with you. And as you come together, that says to Baal, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And for the weak-willed Israelites, that was a very attractive way of worship. It sure beats a boring liturgy. And this is just one example of how God's people strayed into darkness. They also got into cheating financially. They got into alcoholism. They got into all kinds of moral messes because they forsook their God. But even though they forsook their God, God did not forsake them. And in this very dark time, when God had to give them what we dog lovers call divine leash correction by having the enemy troops come in and actually take God's people into exile, the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians around in 721. The southern kingdom didn't fare any better. The Babylonians came in 587, I believe, and took them away. A very dark time for God's people. But God was not finished with them yet. Not in a way of further leash correction, but in a way of bringing light into their situation. Now, this morning, I have for you in the bulletin, we have some, some different, what I would hope are little points to help you remember what we are sharing with you today. It's a story that takes us from illumination to jubilation because of liberation through someone's incarnation. And this someone had a marvelous appellation and that's not a trail that you walk on. It's a way of saying you're being called something, an appellation. Now we have these marvelous, uh, and thank you, Gordon, for saying these are not names like Tom, Dick, and Harry, but they are throne names, which were given to monarchs to kind of say, we hope this little baby, when he grows up to be the king, will act in this way or do certain things. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And through this person who, was, who came by incarnation and who fulfilled these marvelous names, there would be an eternal domination. Now, that word domination sometimes has a negative connotation but for our purposes, it simply means a rule, an empire. So we're not going to go through a lot of detail on a lot of this because I remember a prayer that a pastor said years ago, Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff and shut it when I've said enough. Okay? So if you're checking your watches, 
We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. So first of all, illumination. A light would go on for people who walked in darkness. And in your, in your text, it references some geographical places, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and Galilee. Now, this was referencing to the northern kingdoms who, were, who bore the names of Jacob's sons. Zebulun and Naphtali were way up in the north, and they were the first ones to get leash corrected by the Assyrians. But one day, God would bring a light to these people who walked in utter darkness. When Evan read the New Testament lesson before, notice how literally this prophecy was fulfilled in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. When Jesus came on the scene, way up in Galilee, the, the place where the Gentiles lived, this prophecy became marvelously fulfilled. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This morning in my, my devotions, I, I read the uh, annunciation of Gabriel to Mary. And I'm sure we all remember the words, um, you will conceive and bear a son. And then at the end of Gabriel's message, it, it references that he would be on the throne of his father, David. Now, hang on to those words. We'll look at that a little bit later. But so often in the New Testament, we have proof that Jesus is the one who came as the light. Recall the story of Simeon and Anna in the temple when Jesus was brought to be presented and married to go through a, a, a ritual that was prescribed for her. And Simeon said, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. I'm ready to die. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. As he held baby Jesus in his arms, he said, this is the light. And recall how Jesus during his ministry said, I am what? The light of the world. So through Jesus Christ comes the illumination that we who walk in darkness also need so desperately. St. Paul says to believers, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And as we examine our own hearts this morning, we recognize that we too were born in darkness of sin. And each and every day we have to confess, Lord, as much as I have tried, I know that I have failed in many ways. We too need the light who is our Savior, Jesus. And through that light, now we go to verse number three. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. Through the light that came, the light that is Jesus, we have cause for jubilation, for joy. There are many commercials that kind of 
guarantee to you that if you get this or that thing, you will have real Christmas joy. We know that is baloney. The real joy comes in knowing our Savior and Lord Jesus. Recall the words of St. Peter as he says these words apply to believers. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not seen him now, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and are filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Without having seen him, we love him and we rejoice. Joy to the world because of Jesus. The jubilation that Isaiah describes is the joy as people rejoicing over a marvelous, bountiful harvest. And as victors rejoice when they divide the spoils, the rewards of having defeated their enemy. So there is illumination, and through the one who is the light, there is jubilation. There is joy in knowing Jesus. And what did Jesus do? It can be summed up in the word liberation, verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here Isaiah references the victory through liberation for God's people. Some of the pictures refer to what happened to slaves in Egypt. They were beaten with a rod and they were oppressed. They had things on their shoulders that were heavy. And also the victory given as in the days of Midian. Does anyone remember who the hero of Midian was, the battle? Gideon, very close. But the real hero of the battle against the enemies of God's people was God. Do you remember Gideon started with about 120,000 troops and God said, "Mm, too many. Let those who are scared go back home. And quite a few of them went back home. And ultimately, God whittled that tremendous army down to size. What was the size? 300. And then, in a very interesting battle plan, they lit their lamps and they broke their pitchers and all the Midians began to kill each other. It was a plan that God had. So ultimately, God is the one who is the victor. He wins for his people. So liberation. Now, we also need liberation. No, we're not physical slaves, but the Bible says that by nature we are slaves to sin. We serve a horrible taskmaster. And through the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ, our Savior, he has brought liberation. 
Do you remember the words of Jesus? If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And what does Jesus liberate us from? I like to think of it as at least three things. He liberates us from the punishment of sin because he took it. He frees us from the power of sin as his Holy Spirit works in our hearts to make us the adopted children in God's family live for him. He gives us the power to live for him. And also he frees us from the pollution of sin. Someone has rightly said, sin stinks, it pollutes. And we have that comforting word that uh, John, the, the apostle, penned in one of his letters. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, gets rid of the pollution. Thank God that we can experience that in our lives. Now, the, all this good news comes through the one who came by incarnation. What does that word mean? The word carn or car in this word means flesh. You've gone to a carnival. That word means goodbye flesh. Okay? Kind of an interesting word. But incarnation refers to the fact that Jesus came into our earth as a true human being. Unto us a child is born. There's nothing more human than being born. And unto us a son is given. That refers to the fact that Jesus is true God. He retains his true God nature, even through his incarnation. It's a mystery that we cannot fully understand, but with the Nicene Creed, anybody know what that is? Good. Through the Nicene Creed, we confess that Jesus is what? Very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with God the Father. Again, deep theological thought, but true. Without Jesus as true man and true God, we have no Savior. But thank God that in the incarnation, he came as he truly is. And now these wonderful names. Gordon mentioned before about George Friedrich Handel. In 1741, uh, he was about 56 years old. He had suffered a, a stroke, and he was financially not in good shape, and health-wise not in good shape. But he resolved to do something different with his musical ability. He had been reading the book of Isaiah, and he was so taken by that, he said, I'm going to do something with this message. And he did, and I believe it was in 23 days that he came up with the entire score of the Messiah. And in that wonderful piece, we have these throne names, and now we ask, what's in his name? Let's take a few moments to look at some of these. Wonderful Counselor. Now, when Handel wrote the Messiah, he kind of 
separated the word wonderful from counselor. I think, I don't want to be George's critic, but because this is a series of four couplets, I think it's better to say wonderful counselor. Now, the word wonderful is one that we kind of use for things that aren't so wonderful. Oh, you got wonderful pair of shoes. Yeah. As a kid in the Bronx, we had a, a field trip to the Wonder Bread Bakery. I'll never forget. We went to this Wonder Bread Bakery, and on the way back home, uh, we were all given a sample loaf of Wonder Bread. And it was so fresh, and, and I think so unnourishing, that some of us opened the packages and made dough balls out of this Wonder Bread, and we had in the subway a dough ball fight of Wonder Bread. To this day, I can't stand it. It's not that wonderful. And we apply the word wonderful in so many ways, but in the scriptures, when something is called wonderful, it means that only God is the explanation for what happened. For example, the exodus out of Egypt of God's people is known as a wonder. The going through the Red Sea, the provisions in the wilderness, these are all things that only God is the answer or the explanation for. And now Jesus is called the wonderful counselor. Have you ever thought of Jesus as a counselor? Is it proper to call him that? Well, he called himself that when we think of these words. When he talked to his disciples about sending the Holy Spirit, he said, I will send you another counselor, which means he was there first as counselor. Now, as counselor, we think of someone who can give us very good advice. And you think of the many words that are recorded about Jesus in the New Testament. And so many of these are wonderful counsel for our life here on earth. How do you deal with people with whom you have conflict? Let Jesus be your counselor. First, speak to the person you're having problem, problems with. And if that doesn't work, call a couple Christian friends. If that doesn't work, call the elders. If that doesn't work, have the church help. Now, these are called the steps toward excommunication. That's kind of a heavy word. But I believe it is also a wise counsel as how to begin a reconciliation process. Deal with the one you're having trouble with rather than blab it out to everybody else. Jesus also gives us wonderful counsel as far as our relationship with our money and the warnings against materialism. He also has counsel about marriage. Such good counsel. But how much do we really appreciate it and how much do we read of the counselor's manual? Someone has given a very interesting acrostic for the, what does the word Bible mean? 
If you take B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's counsel that we find in his word given by our Savior Jesus. He is also called, the same word as counselor is the word that is used as an advocate. I believe it's in John's, one of his epistles. He says, if we sin, we have an advocate, a counselor before the Father. Praise God for his wonderful counsel. And then he is called mighty God. Again, the word mighty is one that we so easily throw out. Who of you remembers Mighty Mouse? Mighty Mouse? How about Mighty Joe Young? Oh, some of you are mature enough to remember that. And Mighty Fine Pudding. Ugh. <laughs> we throw the word mighty around, but here it's proper use. We, we speak of Jesus, the mighty God. We think of Jesus as the helpless infant in the manger at Christmas, but let's remember, he is, first of all, mighty God. John reminds us in the first chapter that through him, all things were made. And that refers to the word, in other words, Jesus, the mighty God. The Hebrew word is El Gabor, which means the hero God. We recall that at 9-11 and in so many situations, the heroes are the ones who run into the problem, into the danger. And as mighty God, isn't that what Jesus did? He didn't shrink from the cross. He resolutely went into that danger on the cross, bearing our shame and our guilt, dying in our place, that awful death, that we would be freed from our sins. Mighty God. Some years ago, there was a song that came out, I believe by Scott Wesley Brown. We wonder sometimes, if, is God big enough? Is God mighty enough to help? Listen to these words. There is no problem so big that God cannot solve it. There is no mountain too tall that God cannot move it. There is no storm too dark that he cannot calm it. There is no sorrow too deep that he cannot soothe it. If he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders... I know my brother, he will carry you. If he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, I know, my sister, that he will carry you. Mighty God. We continue with the everlasting Father. That may seem a little strange that Jesus would be called Father. No, Isaiah was not in need of a catechetical review about the Trinity. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So why is Jesus called Everlasting Father? Remember, this is a throne name given to kind of foretell what kind of leader this would be. 
And the translation from Hebrew is maybe a little bit more accurately put as Father of Eternity, the one who brought the world into being, the one who is eternally fatherlike, the father who does not forsake his children, the father, yes, who is disappointed at times in his children, but does not give up on them, does not forsake them. The everlasting fatherly nature of Jesus is so beautifully expressed in Psalm 23, in which the provisions and the protection of you and me as God's children is so beautifully put. And who is it that does all this? The Lord, the Lord who is my shepherd. Finally, we go to the throne name, the Prince of Peace. We think of Christmas. We think of the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace upon those upon whose God, whose God favors, upon whom God's favor rests. You might remember it as the old way, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Well, the peace that is spoken of here is not an earthly peace. It's not brought about by political leaders or by the United Nations or by any other human factor. But the peace that we ultimately need is the peace that knows that our sins are forgiven, that we have a family who by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ has adopted us into his family. And that is peace. So often Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you or peace be with you. Remember after his resurrection, his first words to his disciples who had forsaken him, peace be with you my forgiven and beloved brothers and sisters, the Prince of Peace. Then his eternal rule, the domination, in the upcoming weeks during Advent, the focus has been on the one who would come to be the final and victorious king. And in the closing verses of our text, we read, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. The eternal reign of the eternal Son, praise God for his names. There's one other name of Jesus that is maybe not familiar to most of us. In chapter 2 of the Song of Solomon, there's a person who speaks these words. Does anyone know what that is? I am the rose, right, of Sharon. I am the rose of Sharon. This may be open to a lot of different interp interpretations, but many scholars feel that this is a word spoken by Jesus himself as the one who loves his beloved. 
And if that's true, that Jesus is that Rose of Sharon, we say again, as we did it in the beginning, we ask the question, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. We've looked at, looked at some of the names of Jesus this morning. And certainly, as we think of the significance of those names, we say, how sweet is that name of Jesus? In a few moments, we're going to close with a hymn that I remember as a kid going to a parochial school in the Bronx. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in the believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. That's one of the verses that we'll sing. What's in his name? How sweet it is. May God help us to appreciate ever anew the marvelous names of Jesus. And if this morning you are maybe wondering about who this Jesus is and what he could mean in your life, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convince you that here is peace, here is hope, here is the assurance that you will spend your eternity in the presence of God through faith in the one who is and remains your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God granted for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we marvel at the meaning of your name. First of all, Savior. Also, Good Shepherd, the light of the world, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, being to us as an everlasting Father, and through your death and resurrection, the Prince of Peace. We praise you and thank you. Amen.